Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning on this Thirsty Thursday, May the 19th, 2022. Good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen. I know not everyone is listening in the mornings because some of you are listening later in the day when we rebroadcast this as a podcast at MyFaithRadio.com or across all of your favorite podcasting platforms. So hello to you as well, whatever time of day it is, wherever you are in the world. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Where in the word are you today? That's... um. That's going to be the most important question I probably ask uh, during our time together. So I want you to consider that. Where in the word are you today? The State of the Bible um, report issued by the American Bible Society says that some 26 million Americans stopped engaging the Bible in 2021. I don't want uh, you to be among them. Or if you were among them, let me to let me encourage you to re-engage the Bible. Open it up. Um, find yourself in the Word of God, that the Word of God might find itself in you, and that as you walk out into the world that God so loves, you might do so in ways that honor Jesus. So let's get into the Word of God today. Um, so I was asked yesterday by a person who um, who read at least a portion. I'm not sure she read the whole book, but anyway. So I wrote a book called Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back into Every Conversation. I'm not sure she got through the whole thing. So she just asked me straight up yesterday in a conversation, how do I practically get God back into the conversations of the day? She was looking for, you know, intensely practical answers um, to the question, like, how do I do this? Uh, So first of all, let me say, we have to recognize that God is already present. It's not like we're bringing God into a conversation because God is somehow absent, It's not that God's absent. It's just that God is unrecognized or not being paid attention to. He's not being heard. His his voice is not finding its place in that conversation. And so he has you in the conversation on purpose and for that purpose. So the first thing is to recognize that God's already present and then receive that conversation as a divine appointment. See yourself in that conversation as an agent of God's grace, an ambassador of God's kingdom, a speaker of truth, a minister of reconciliation, a person of peace. It changes your posture in a conversation if you see yourself the way God sees you in the midst of that conversation as his spokesperson. So if you entered into conversations today with a desire, with the desire to bring God's view to bear in every conversation, how would it change like what you need and how would it change how you approach the conversations of the day? And you're going to say to yourself, well, I'm going to need to know God's perspective on everything. Yep. You're also going to need to be a conduit of his grace. You're going to need to be um, a person in whom the Holy Spirit dwells and through whom the Holy Spirit has um, free reign over your tongue, over your, you know, like, right, every thought captive to Christ and then um, words that are guided by the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit speak through you. And then you have to listen. 
you have to be a really good listener to practically bring God back into the conversations of the day. And so when we are listening in conversation and we're listening to the world, um, what we're listening for are theological words, biblical allusions, moral, moral claims, or moral questions. That's what we're listening for. Tune your ear to hear words like evil, justice, miracle, sin, heaven, hope, or hopeless, love, or hate, grief, life, blessing, death, prayer, forgiveness, mercy, grace, peace. I mean, like if you tune your ear to, you know, ding a ding a ding ding like to ring when uh, somebody uses a theological word or a biblical allusion, somebody, you know, talks about the, a good Samaritan, um, or somebody makes a moral claim, like that was pure evil. That's a moral claim. That's a, that's a moral claim that points to a spiritual reality. Um, and so uh, let's just say today you wanted to bring God practically into the conversations of the day. Um, well, we're going to talk about uh, exactly how to do that using a range of headlines that are before us today. Um, but we're going to come back to this conversation after we talk with our good friend Ben Johnson, who right now is waiting in the wings. And so Ben Johnson up next, the rights writer, and then back to our conversation about how do I practically get God back into the conversations of the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is my right. Ben Johnson is back. He is an Anglican pastor. He is Anglican? No, Orthodox. All right, I'm going to let him. I'm going to let him fix my fix what's broken in my introduction here in just a second. He tweets at the rights writer. I do know that. Ben, welcome back. Good to be with you as always, Carmen. What kind of what kind of pastor are you? What variety? What flavor? Orthodox Christian. Yeah. Orthodox Christian. Yeah. I knew I was wrong. I knew as soon as I said Anglican that <clears throat> that didn't sound right. Um. All right. So. Um. Pastor, today, as we're bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of our day, uh, I teed up for conversation this story out of Kansas um, related to a teacher. Can you tell us this story? This is a wild story that you found. A district judge has stopped a Kansas school district from punishing a teacher who refused to use incorrect pronouns for two of her students, and more importantly, who refused to conceal her students' transgender status from their parents. Uh, this happened in Fort Riley Middle School with a math teacher named Pamela Ricard, uh, who has been called up by by her school district because she has two transgender students. The way the media report puts it is this way, quote, uh, neither of whom have authorized the district to disclose their preferred names and pronouns to their parents, end quote. So in other words, they're going by one name at home, one set of pronouns at home. Then they get to the school and they go by another way. They present themselves another way and they demand that the teacher address them in a certain way. Now, this teacher is a Christian and she has to communicate with the parents. And she said that she has sent an email to the parents using their legal name and their, their pronouns, the corresponding pronouns to their accurate uh, sex and gender. But uh, doing that, she said, is a form of dishonesty. She's she is essentially deceiving the parents about the way that uh, their their children are acting in the classroom. 
So a judge has said that the uh, the local school district wanted to punish her, wanted to discipline her uh, for for not using the proper pronouns in, in their terminology. We would say these are incorrect pronouns. Uh, but the judge has, has temporarily stopped this uh, until she's able to go elsewhere. Uh, she is going to step down from her position. She's been there 15 years, uh, from what I gather, 15 or 17. But she's been there for a very long time. And uh, she says that this is a form of dishonesty, and being dishonest violates her religious beliefs as a Christian. So she's been incredibly accommodating. She's called these people by their last names. She has not used any pronouns toward them or whatever so that she didn't cause them any anxiety. And yet the district wants to punish her. So that's that's the basis of the story. Yeah, it wasn't lost on me that this is a public middle school. So we are talking about students who are um, certainly not of uh, of major age. And yet they are... Um, they have asserted some right that they have the personal authority to direct the entire school system um, in a particular way. That that was part of this story that um, I found interesting. I also thought it was interesting. This happens to be a public middle school on an army base. We're talking about Fort Riley um, Middle School, in um, <clears throat> which is a county school, um, but it's also on a military base. It, it's a it's a it's a confluence of storylines that uh, I, I think is very interesting. Well, I thought, I'm glad that you looked at it that way, this sort of cornucopia view. You're right. First of all, this, this isn't San Francisco or the Upper East Side. Uh, this is a military base in Kansas. So literally, this could happen anywhere. That's that's red squared, right? That's as red as you can get in America. I, and, except can uh, I say and, that like it's sort of like Dorothy? I don't, I don't think this is Kansas anymore. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, this this is hardly it's certainly uh, un-American, I would say, to force someone to use uh, something that violates her conscience and which is biologically false. You sort of have these twin nesting dolls of iniquity in this story. You have what they want to do to the teacher, which is force her to lie or punish her for telling the truth, enroll her in a conspiracy of silence and deception against her parents, uh, you know, against the parents of these children. And then, uh, you know, not very long ago, these students would have been reading out of the McGuffey Reader moral lessons that it's wrong to lie. Now they're saying that it's wrong to tell the truth. Uh, and then you've got what they want to do to the parents, which is indoctrinate their children in extreme gender ideology, secretly aid children in defying their parents, uh, set children up for potential, you know, potentially changing their bodies and denying their parents the ability to have grandchildren. Uh, substituting state officials' authority for the parents' authority and forcing parents to pay for their own disenfranchisement through public taxation. So you have these, these twin nesting dolls of, of iniquity that are going on in this uh, in this uh, ongoing uh, case where this, this teacher is being forced out because she wants to do something that the vast majority of people in the state of Kansas would say is the right thing. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm. Uh, I wrote down twin nesting dolls of iniquity. Um, the, I'm going to call that the tweetable Ben Johnson this morning. We're talking with Ben Johnson. He tweets at the Rights Writer. We're going to talk about American Christians backing the blue in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. I'm smelling coffee, birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy. Continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson, who tweets at the rights writer. 
Uh, ben, American Christians back the blue. What's going on here? Well, that they do. Uh, this is from uh, religionnews.com, a story by Aaron Griffith. And uh, there is a new poll out showing the, the extent to which Christians support uh, the police officers. And, of course, there's also a uh, uh, what he draws attention to, something that shows uh, that in action, which is that uh, several several uh, places, and particularly he focuses on Louisville, Kentucky, uh, talk about programs where people are praying for people who are who are police officers, showing their support for police officers. Churches saying that uh, we are behind you, uh, and and they often cite uh, Romans 13, talking about a thin blue line, uh, and they they put that out in fact with uh, a symbol of the thin blue line, which of course is the Blue Lives Matter movement. So uh, these, are, these are Christians who are showing their support for the police, particularly in Louisville. He has concerns about it. Uh, I, I get the general sense, and I, I didn't have the opportunity to, uh, uh, to research him specifically very deeply, but uh, he, he has a line in here saying, Christian officers have wrestled with competing demands of peaceful discipleship and departmental duty. Simply put, can one be a good police officer and obey Jesus' commands to turn the other cheek and forsake violence? And that, that kind of put a little bit of a cloud uh, to me over some of the things that he wrote. But it, I think it's a worthwhile question. Obviously, if he's raising it, it means people are asking it, right? So uh, it, it's worthwhile, I think, to delve into it a little bit. And uh, to me, this the, the beginning place here would be uh, Luke 3.14, where uh, St. John the Baptist is, is preaching, uh, getting people ready to accept the Messiah, and telling people to repent. And it says that the soldiers came to him and asked, what should we do? And he said... Mm. Don't practice extortion, don't falsely accuse anyone, and be satisfied with your wages. Because if you were a soldier at that time, you could demand wages of anyone, and they had to comply. Obviously, they, they had no Miranda rights in the Roman Empire. That's a level of brutality to which we have no, um, no antecedent uh, uh, here in the United States. There's no, there's no uh, uh, counterpart to that here. So it seems clear that it's not so much the profession, it's the question of how the profession is is enacted. In, in fact, uh, Christ uh, uh, has also uh, uh, also had a similar interaction with with soldiers and did not upbraid them for carrying out their office. However, he obviously condemned what they were doing to him. Uh, it was clearly a, a case of injustice here. So the question should be: Should we back the blue? To me, it's the same question: Should we back the red, white, and blue? Uh, the question is: Is what the red, white, and blue is doing just or unjust? Is it righteous or unrighteous? So on a case-by-case basis, uh, overall, obviously, in 99% of the, the time, I back my country and, and, uh, and uh, the policies of our country and the military interventions of our country. Uh, but there are rare occasions where I part ways with the politicians who order those because I think that they're mistaken in what they've done. And I would say the same thing. I, you know, police have one of the most difficult jobs that uh, is out there. We should pray for them. We should pray for their safety. Uh, we should thank them for those who are doing a good job for keeping us safe. And we see what happens uh, in areas where the police are not allowed to function properly. The people who are in vulnerable communities are the ones who suffer the most. So I, I think that we owe them a tremendous debt of gratitude. There are very rare instances which get magnified, uh, but there are genuine instances where there are abuses. I'm not sure that it's more than any other any other profession, but where those cases come about, then we have to raise our voices at uh, rare acts of injustice and praise them for uh, the many acts of justice that they enforce. I love um, the passage that you lifted up. I It made me think about... Um, 
Jesus healing the servant uh, in Luke chapter 7. So let me just read that. Um, For those of you who haven't had an opportunity to open the Word of God today, let's just do it together here. Luke chapter 7 leads off this way. When Jesus finished saying all these things to the people, he went to Capernaum. There was an army officer, so that would be an officer of the law, um, who had a servant who was very important to him. The servant was so sick, he was nearly dead. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. And the men went to Jesus and begged him, saying, this officer is worthy of your help. He loves our people. He has built us a synagogue. So Jesus went with the men. He was getting near the officer's house when the officer sent friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. That is why I did not come to you myself. You only need command it, and my servant will be healed. I, too, am a man under authority of others, and I have soldiers under my command, and I tell one soldier, go, and he goes, and another soldier, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and my servant does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you the truth. This is the greatest faith I have found anywhere, even in Israel. And those who had been sent to, Je- sent to Jesus went back to the house and found the servant in good health. Um, this testimony of the, the, the sort of righteous man, which is a strange word to use, I recognize, in relationship to a Roman centurion of the time. But right, he's a Roman officer. He's an officer in the Roman army. And he is responsible for uh, a particular part of Israel called Capernaum. And it is, it is in this community where he has done good things, right? I mean, good things have happened to the people under his leadership um, or authority. And so this statement of faith that, you know, Lord, you don't need to come to my house. Like, I, I recognize how authority works and how... And I recognize the authority you have over over life and death. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary testimony. It truly is. And, you know, when you look at uh, uh, Roman soldiers, you, you often don't associate them with righteousness. But he'd learned something. This was someone who was able to turn everything toward his spiritual life. And he learned discipleship, essentially, from being a, a Roman centurion. He said, Jesus is someone who has power far greater than the command that I have over these earthly things. His kingdom is not of this world. And, you know, he has hosts of angels uh, at his command. So he has the ability to command healing for my servant. And he recognized that. And he made an, an analogy to his own position, said that uh, I understand the position of authority. And so how much greater is the authority that Jesus has? And he has that tremendous uh, act of faith that is praised beyond uh, even those of uh, who were uh, we would typically associate with Jesus, worshiping in the synagogue and in the temple. So uh, anyone can be discipled in any profession, provided it's an honorable profession. Uh, it's a question of how we approach our job. Do we, do we make it an outgrowth of our spiritual life? Uh, do we say that this is a vocation where I am serving others and I am doing this as unto the Lord so that I can take the time that God has given me and the goods, uh, the, the materials, the ability, the genius that God has given, and transform these things uh, through, through the power that he has given in order to improve them and serve others with them. And when I say genius, I mean you, not me. 
Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> yeah, well, it's so good. Um, ben, as always, thank you so much for joining us. That's Ben Johnson. He tweets at the rights writer. We love talking with you every Thursday. So thank you for being here. Thank you for the conversation. God bless. We'll be right back. All right, I want to um, continue the conversation that we started before we uh, had the opportunity to talk with Ben. And so uh, in answer to the question, how do I practically get God back into the conversations of the day? Um, one of the things that I recommend doing is listen for theological words, biblical allusions, and you know, outright moral claims. So if you were just to look at today's headlines— I mean, there's been me- there's been a lot of coverage of uh, the meteoric rise in app-based online gambling, and it has brought a term back into um, uh, back into the conversation. And that term is sin stock. So a sin stock, I mean, the word sin, right? That's not lost on you, right? But a sin stock is a publicly traded company involved in or associated with an activity that is considered unethical or immoral. But the very use of the term sin in relationship to sin stock, in this case, gambling, um, you know, should give us an opportunity to uh, to talk about sin and how it is resolved. Talk about the reality of what sin is uh, and the grace alone uh, through the the way that sin is resolved by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. Right. And we come to an understanding of this through the word of God alone. Uh, to the glory of God. Like, right, there are opportunities for us to get God back into the conversations of the day. How about the word evil? The word evil is being invoked frequently in reference to the shooting in Buffalo, New York. Um, An 18-year-old white man intentionally targeted black people, seeking to, in his own words, kill as many black people as possible. And in response, uh, the Erie County Sheriff described the actions as, quote, pure evil. That's a claim. That's a spiritual claim. It's a claim of spiritual reality, a moral authority, and it's a conversational opportunity for Christians in the culture to talk about evil and the reality of it and the solution to it. Um, There is a a headline um, in today, passenger turned pilot recalls miracle landing. Ding, 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 ding. Like that, a bell in our mind should ring when we see the word miracle Uh, appear in a headline or used in a conversation. So when you see or hear the word miracle, I mean, you got to like throw up the yellow card or the yellow, I don't know, signal and then ask the person, what do you mean when you use the word miracle? Miracle by definition, friends, is a quote, surprising and welcome event, not explicable by natural or scientific laws and therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. Divine agency, that's reference to a positive, powerful, supernatural force, also known as God. You can't have a miracle without God. So there's an invitation, conversational invitation today. Uh, you could also just Google the word peace. Uh, hit, the, hit the news tab. Like you put any word up there in your, you know, in your Googler and you hit the news tab and you're going to see headlines um, that include that term. Today? You Google the word peace, you're going to get headlines ranging from Ukraine to China to McDonald's. Peace talks are stalled between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, McDonald's peace theory uh, doesn't hold up. 
China's developmental peace model, uh, making gains in Pakistan. So what do we mean by the word peace? What do these articles mean by the word peace? What's the use of the word peace when it's used by China in terms of economic development and partnership? What, what is peace and how do we access it? Well, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And in him, we experience a peace that surpasses human understanding. And people today don't just need another piece of our mind. They need the very peace of Christ. Let's give it to them. We're going to talk about peace officers next with Adam Davis. What a privilege and a pleasure to have joining us uh, this week, Adam Davis. He's a former police officer. Um, he is now a, a public speaker and an author, um, and he joins us um, on the topic of prayers and promises for first responders. Uh, that is his latest book. Adam, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Thank you all so much for having me with you this morning. Absolutely. Talk with us. Um, first of all, let's just start with the book, Prayers and Promises yeah. for First Responders. Um, we are one of those families that when a emergency vehicle, when traffic slows down, right, <clears throat> and we start to grumble, and then an emergency vehicle, um, you know, we can hear it in the distance and then getting closer. And as it passes us, we start praying for the situation that those people are entering into, um, because that is... That's a situation that nobody wants to be in. I don't want to be stuck in traffic and slowed down and whatever I have planned for the day. But somebody's day has just gone gone horribly wrong. And those first yeah. responders are moving into something tragic. Yeah. You know what? I It's funny you say that because we just uh, I've been traveling the past several days and or the last several days. And um, during our travels, we had I think we got stopped for three hours in traffic. And, um, you know, one of our initial responses is to, to complain about sitting in traffic, <laughs> you know, and having to be delayed. And then you get up there and see that somebody's lost their life or they're severely injured or, um, it's really, you think about those people and what they're facing. It's, it's their worst day. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the fact it's, it's their worst day. And, uh, the men and women who respond to citizens who are having their worst day are first responders, whether it's um, a violent crime, uh, a sex offense, or traffic accident, or medical emergency. It's the men and women who, who are serving our communities as first responders, and, you know, they, they need the support of the citizens they serve. They need uh, the prayers from, from followers of Jesus, people who who commit to, to, to doing things the way that God's word shows us to do it. And we need to support them. You know, we need to pray for them daily and we need to cover them thoroughly. Uh, they are public servants, you know, and if we neglect to take care of public servants, um, we're going to be held accountable for that. And our churches need to cover them. They need to cover them. Well, not just a meal here or there or, or one day a year. And so we can check a box. It needs to be a way of life. Because I'm going to tell you something, a world without first responders is a world you don't want to dream of. It's a nightmare and you need them. You need them and you need people who are taken care of, who are not only well-paid, well-trained, well-equipped, but covered and well-supported in prayer. And they know that community has their back. We were talking recently with a, um, a, Euro a European reporter and 
And she was saying, you know, the um, the mayor of Kiev is telling people, you know, you can come back. But just so that you know, you know, there's blockades in the roads. There are curfews and um, we don't have the capacity to respond to your emergency needs. That's sobering. Right. Um, to 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 hear um, from a major city, a capital city in the world, like we don't have the ability to respond to your needs. But there are places um, right here where the ability of first responders to respond is is hampered or hindered by citizens not behaving well. And so it's not just yeah. praying for our first responders. It's, you know, it's being a people who are governed in ways that we can live in community with one another. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. You know, it's uh, it, the day may come and I'm sure, you know, in, in some of the cities that have been uh, heavily impacted by the events of the, uh, you know, the past couple of years, uh, those citizens have seen that when they call for police officers to respond, but there's not a police officer available. You know, if there's a burglary or robbery or a traffic accident or some other uh, emergency or need, um, that's sobering. Yeah, Kiev is different than the United States. We're blessed to be living in the United States, uh, but that's a sobering reality. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've had you've had a lot of um, people calling for defund police and all this other garbage. And at the end of the day, the only people that hurts is the citizens are they're sworn to serve. And so we, we need, yes, we need to pray, but at the same time, as a, as an old veteran uh, law enforcement officer told me recently, he said, you know, uh, we really appreciate people buying our coffee and Mm. buying our meals and telling us, thank you for your service. He said, and that's great, but we really need those people to be the voice for us in town square. We need them to be the ones that if commissions or councils are talking about making moves that are going to harm uh, the response of service, uh, you know, the response for calls, we need, we need men and women who are going to stand up and be our voice because mm-hmm. we're all, we can only do so much. And so, yeah, prayer precedes everything. Uh, and we stand on the promises of God's word. They're always yes and amen, but we need men and women who are going to stand up and be louder than the voice of those who are calling for evil and harm. Mm, that's so helpful. We're talking with Adam Davis. He is the author of Prayers and Promises for First Responders. Um, he is a former police officer himself. We're going to um, take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going um, to ask Adam to just reflect on the officer's calling, the calling of a person who enters into um, this line of work where they know their own life will be under threat, but they're so compelled to serve others. What... Um, what kind of calling is that in a person's life? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You're my defender. You fight for me. I will remember. Returning to our conversation with former police officer Adam Davis, we're talking um, around and about his book, Prayers and Promises for First Responders. Adam, talk with us about um, the calling of an officer or the calling of a first responder. This is, a, this is an individual um, and unique calling. It is, and it's not one to be taken lightly. It's, um, I'll tell you this, and, and whenever I, I sort of start landing the plane on my talks to law enforcement officers and other first responders, um, I always end it like this. So I think this is a great way to answer your question. Uh, somewhere in your community, uh, there's a little boy, there's a little girl, 
um, their little bodies are beaten, they're bloody, they're bruised, and they're crying out to God. They're saying, God, send me an angel. They don't know how to pray. They know enough about, you know, about life to say, God, send me an angel. And the reality is most of us have never seen an angel with wings or a halo. I know they exist. I believe in angels. Uh, and I, but I know God's not going to send an angel with wings in most cases. He's going to send a man or a woman well-equipped, well-trained, that's wearing a badge, a uniform, a lot of cases, a duty belt. It's men, or women, men and women who, who've, who've committed to answer the call, the call to serve. And at one point in my life, I was that little boy. And you have to look at these men and women who answer the call, and they've said yes. The people in my community are worth fighting for. Those little boys, those little girls, and anybody else, they're worth fighting for. They're worth answering the call for. It's a special, special, special human person, uh, a special person, human being that responds to, to service uh, in a community where they're hated, where they're, um, people don't want them there. That's selfless love. That's what drives them. At the end of the day, that may not be the banner that they fly, and that may not be on the side of patrol cars or fire trucks or ambulances, but selfless love is, is the core of what they do and what drives them. And that is, that is the best of the best. We have the best of the best. You talk about America's finest. They are the best of the best, and that's why, is because they continue to get up and serve every day, every night, no matter what. And that is what makes them the greatest profession in the world, the greatest core of human beings in the world, because they put their lives on the line for us day in and day out, no matter what. You can hate them. You can, you can, you know, just absolutely loathe the side of a police officer, but they're still going to come to your aid when you call for them. Mm-hmm. In our, in our local community here, we had a, um, I mean, this is a humorous story, but I think it reflects on just the good nature of police officers. Um, we had a, a man who, um, wanted to see his mom on Mother's Day, but he didn't have anywhere to get there. And so he actually stole one of our school buses from our elementary school. Oh, my word. And um, he didn't get all the way to his mama's house. Um, some local law enforcement officers um, uh, came across the bus because the alarm was blaring and he didn't know how to turn it off. Well, anyway, so in their conversation with them, you know, they just said, you know, you know, if you really, really, really need to be somewhere, like, we'll take you. Like, we would rather take you where you need to go, especially to see your mama on Mother's Day, than to have to arrest you for, you know, grand theft. So anyway. Absolutely. um, Right? I think that part of it is getting over the fear of asking them. They they don't just want to protect. They do want to serve. And I think sometimes we're reticent to invite them to serve in ways that they're more than willing to serve. Um, because we really have come to think of them somehow as like a, mili- a military or militaristic force, and they're not. They're, they're a protect no. and serve force, and I think that uh, helping us be mindful of that is really, really good. It is, and, you know, we want the serve part, um, but when we see them have to step into protect mode, mm-hmm. it, it, can sometimes, um, it can sometimes scare us. Because the fact of the matter is, um, we're not accustomed to seeing righteous violence. Hmm. Um, but it's necessary. This, this is a battle against good and evil. And, and there are evil people who want to do harm to innocent people in this world. And, and there has to be men and women who are driven by selfless love, who are willing to put their lives on the line, 
who are willing to stand up against the face of evil and not, and they'd say, not today, not on my watch. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that just, you know, that, that, that may scare us. That may make us feel a, a range of emotions. Uh, it may make us want to say, we don't want them around, but in the moment when bullets are flying and um, it's your loved one that's in the way, uh, I don't think you really care what it takes stop the bullets from flying, stop the danger, stop the threat, do your job, do it well, and do it with excellence, do it with honor. Um, and, and we have to, we have to understand that sometimes that is, that is part of the job. The protecting isn't always pretty and clean. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. Uh, sometimes it gets really messy, but that is part of the protected serve. That's part of what they do. And so we have to understand we've got to let them do their job and trust that their training, their leadership is going to make sure they're well-equipped, well-trained. They're going to adhere to the code of ethics, law enforcement. They're going to do their job. They're going to do it well. And, and that's the standard. It's a zero-defect de- zero profession. There's, there's zero room for error. And any room of error that, that, it, that exists will be heavily scrutinized. Um, and so, you know, there's not a lot of room for grace there. And so that's why I think it's even more important. We uphold them in prayer. We support them. We cover them in our communities. We make sure that they got everything they need to do their jobs well. If you need a reminder, um, a visual set of images related to um, the point that Adam Davis just made, just, um, you know, go to your Googler there and type in uh, Buffalo shooting and click on images and look at the first responders. And look at the pictures of the ways in which they are responding to the people in the community. And when we think about racially motivated violence um, in Buffalo, the the first responders are almost all white and the victims are almost all black. Um, but the compassion and the energy of response and the care and the concern um, are are evident and they are real. And so I think that there are times when images uh, speak volumes and I want you to Use recent events in, in the life of the nation, and I want you to look and I want you to see the first responders rushing in um, to protect, to serve, to help, to aid, to save um, when others would seek to do violence and harm. Adam, um, when, you, uh, when you think about the ways in which God's promises are, are real for first responders— you know, we talk about prayers and promises for first responders. Take us a little bit into the promises portion. I think the number one promise we have to remember is Jesus said, I've got to go, but when I leave, I'm going to send you a comforter, it's the Holy Spirit. And whether you're hurting today, whether you're dealing with uh, the fallout of past traumatic experiences, whether you're dealing with, you know, overwhelming anxiety, uh, or, you know, due to life circumstances or world events, or if you're dealing with depression, uh, if you're hurting, there is a healer. There is a comforter. It's the Holy Spirit. And uh, he's promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he's given us all power to do what we need to do is found in his word and a relationship with a living God available through a relationship with his son, Jesus. And, and when we cling to that, when we, when we hold dear to that, understanding that life's messy, we're imperfect, we're utterly imperfect, uh, but he is, he is adequate. He is more than adequate. He is our portion and our strength. And we cling to that. We cling to the promises of his word. We cling to the truth of his word. We stand on it. He calls us more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. He calls us more than a conqueror. We're not just 
we're not just victors. We're so much more than victors. And we are his. We are children of, of a living God. And uh, when you see yourself as someone who is, uh, you know, we're, 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 not, we're not human beings that are flesh with a soul. We're souls living um, a human existence. And, uh, and sometimes it hurts. You know, we're not promised a world free of trouble and pain. That's part of it. Uh, but we've also been given the strength and the, the resilience to overcome it. And that's the promise of God is that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, no matter how dark the night, no matter how dangerous the situation, no matter how, no matter how bad the pain hurts, he's with us. And he gives us strength and comfort through it all. You guys might want to um, think about a gift for members of law enforcement in your community. If you're thinking specifically about um, you know, police officers and others in law enforcement, I recommend Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotions for Law Enforcement. Maybe you have other first responders in your community that you'd like to do something, um, you know, tangible and good on their behalf. Uh, uh, Prayers and Promises for First Responders is Adam's latest book. There's also um, Bulletproof Marriage. And um, if you've got, maybe you have a police officer or a member of the military who's getting married, like this is, seems to be the wedding time of the year. Um, Bulletproof Marriage is a 90-day devotional that Adam wrote um, designed to strengthen marriages for military members and first responders. It's a, um, it's a great gift as well. Um, so, Adam, thank you, as always, for joining us. Um, this, uh, this National Police Week, we've been focusing on not only uh, police officers and first responders, but those who have lost um, you know, members of that wonderful family. And so praying with you and for you uh, this week, as I know there are those close to you um, whom you have lost um, over the course of years. So thank you for your service in the past as a police officer. Thank you for your ongoing service to those uh, continuing to serve us as first responders. Thank you so much, Carmen. And thank you for supporting law enforcement and first responders. And I appreciate your prayer for them. Absolutely. That's Adam Davis. Um, you can uh, you can find the books that I mentioned. Well, everywhere books are sold. Prayers and Promises for First Responders, Bulletproof Marriage, and Behind the Badge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. You say come to Um, we are almost out of time today, but let's do one more quick headline before we go. Um, Paul, we got time to run the audio from um, Mastriano, who yeah. is a senator. And yeah, all right. So we're gonna um, we're gonna tee up this audio. Um, this guy won a statewide uh, gubernatorial primary in Pennsylvania, which is a big state. I want you to hear a portion of his acceptance speech. God is good, and all the time. (laughs) Any uh, freedom-loving Americans in the house here? (laughs) Wow, 1 Corinthians 127 gives us all hope. God uses the foolish to confound the wise and the weak to confound the strong, right? That's his story, and he uses people like you and me to change history. I always like to say when we make his story our story, we can change history. But it's, a, it's been a time that try our souls. All right. It's been a time that tries men's souls. Um, his speech goes on from there. I'm not actually advocating for the candidacy of this individual. What I am noting is um, his instinct to um, call upon God and the goodness of God, to declare the goodness of God in 
uh, in his public remarks, um, his ease in referencing Scripture. Um, This is a person who clearly has spent some time in the Word because uh, the Word of God is what came out of him at a moment of what had to have been extraordinary stress. We think of stress as negative. In this case, you know, the very positive stress of recognizing that you've won a primary election for your party um, in a very big state. And then, um, you know, something that obviously is uh, a phrase that he turns to frequently because we turn we turn in moments of stress, positive and negative, to things that are a part of who we are. And so when he so easily, you know, says, uh, you know, this the references First Corinthians one twenty seven, and then it rolls off of his tongue and then he references uh, making history uh, when we make his story, our story we make history or we can make history, Um, that's a pretty good Christian instinct. Now, again, I'm not saying that if you listen further in his acceptance speech, you're going to find him exuding the spirit of Christ in terms of the way he treats other people. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is at the opening, his instincts are good. And um, and, and there's a, a referent in there bringing God into the conversation of the day that I think is important for us to recognize um, and point to. So that's going on out there in the big wide world. We're going to spend another hour together covering the headline news of the day and bringing the mind of Christ to bear here on Mornings with Carmen. You can always let me know what you're thinking about. Um, Doug Mastriano is the name you're looking for if you're looking for that guy in Pennsylvania. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.